Okay, nothing, yeah. There we are, thank you. That's maybe a little lower. Yeah, doesn't feed back. Good, thanks. So, welcome to the Dharma and Recovery Group. I'm Kevin Griffin. This happens um, the second Friday of each month here at Spirit Rock. Um, and uh, I've uh, kind of had the tradition, dare I say, of uh, kind of following the step of the month each month. So we get to kind of start the steps over again, uh, which I know a lot of people do that as a part of their regular program in any case. But um, and I, I, I'm not so much um, trying to do any kind of a thorough uh, reading or practice of the steps, but just to maybe pull out one, one idea um, from one of the steps um, to kind of explore, to use as a jumping off point. So we'll see how that goes tonight. Um, we uh, typically meditate for about a half an hour, and I will give some guidance in that. And... Um, and then time for questions about practice and a break, and then uh, I'll give a talk. So it's, uh, the, it seemed like the uh, post-holiday traffic had started up again tonight. Uh, listening to the traffic reports as I was driving over, there were all sorts of horrors and it wasn't bad coming out here, but it still took a while. I'm sure uh, many of you were stuck somewhere for a while. Um, so, uh, I do like to take a couple minutes b before we get started meditating for the people who have been stuck in traffic. And uh, So, uh, I will mention, and I'll mention this again later, that I'm going to start a seven-week class series, uh, I think February 7th, yes, starting February 7th, and that's a, going through the steps in more of a formal way. Um, and that's a class series that I've been doing uh, almost every year since 2003. And I'm, uh, in that class I'll have kind of homework, you won't be getting graded, but uh, <laughs> some suggestions for things to do week by week, and also kind of progressive meditation instructions, um, and a few teaching various different practices over that time, and kind of just exploring Buddhism and the 12 steps. Um, I'm, I'm uh, writing a, a Buddhist 12-step workbook right now, and so I have some new new material to work with. If you've, if you've ever been through one of my class series, you might, might sample it again. Um, and, uh, so that's um, something I always look forward to and am pleased to do. Uh, so let's begin to sit. So settling into a comfortable posture in which you can relax while remaining alert. So we try to work with the, the back being straight without being rigid. And if you're sitting in a chair, letting both feet be flat on the floor so that there's a sense of stability, letting the eyes close gently. See if you can check in on your balance, the way your body is aligned. 
so that the head is centered on the shoulders and aligned with the hips. the chest open and then releasing any tension that you're holding in the body. And you might move the attention through the body, relaxing the jaw and the face, relaxing the shoulders, the arms and hands. Softening the belly. Releasing tension in the back if you can soften there. And connecting with the earth, you might feel your feet touching the floor and have that sense of connection and being held by the earth as we are. feeling the whole body. Resting in stillness. We spend so much of our time in motion, either traveling through space, or traveling through our minds. So that when we come to stillness, if we're not used to it, it can be somewhat disturbing. Almost there can be a sense of restlessness, a sense that something needs to happen. It's as though we're still moving forward, even as we sit still. Sometimes the mind will rebel when the body becomes still. But if we want to develop the calm that is the promise of meditation, we have to sit through this restlessness, trusting that there is another side. This element of faith or trust is actually critical to the meditation practice, even though it's not often discussed. For many people, faith develops as we practice and we see the benefits, we see the effects. Even still, we may 
experience periods of restlessness and agitation. But if we can open the heart and surrender to whatever is happening with a sense of acceptance and trust, we can move through that challenging energy. Move into something that is already there within us, an inner quiet, and open-heartedness. These qualities live within us and are just waiting for us to become aware of them, to slow down and become quiet enough to see and feel and be with them. So now let your attention rest with your breath. The breath in the body. the breath as your anchor point. Begin to examine and explore the sensations of breathing. natural for the mind to wander as we try to pay attention to the present moment experience of breathing. So we acknowledge that when we become aware that we've lost touch with the breath. We gently come back and try not to add a judgment or a criticism of yourself when the mind wanders. If you find yourself getting frustrated in meditation, it just means that you're striving. And striving just tends to create more agitation. So try not to add that. you can make your practice as simple as possible. 
just seeing what is true moment to moment, trying to accept that with a gentle effort, kind of pointing the mind or inclining the mind towards the breath, towards the present moment, but not striving or setting up goals. or self-judgment. It really isn't up to us to control our experience in meditation. That's not our job. Our job is to show up. And engage in the process. Trust in the process. Turn the results over to the power of the practice.
again, welcome. I hope you had a pleasant meditation. And if not, I hope you were able to be at least balanced in some way or feel accepting of the unpleasantness. Um, We will have a break in a few minutes if people need to do anything, but some people, maybe some people just need to do it now. I don't know. It's okay. I've been uh, teaching a uh, course at St. Mary's College, as I often do in January, Uh, so I've been working with college students, and uh, so I'm used to trying to discipline people, so (laughs) you better watch yourselves. I'm uh, going to be grading you all on your meditation, uh, despite what I said before about the homework. Um, So I'd like to just open it up a bit for questions about practice and any, uh, particularly any difficulties uh, you might have had during that sitting or that you generally have questions about your practice or your lack of a practice. Uh, Yeah. So um, there's been some suggestions that if you're sort of working with physical pain or you experience it during your sitting, you know, to stick with it and explore it. somewhat easier said than done. <laughs> um, suggestions around that or uh, any tips um, for sort of probing it and not just running away from it? Yeah, well, um, it's certainly a common issue. And I like to make the distinction between what I would just call kind of meditative pain or pain that arises as the result of sitting in a posture, you know, trying to be still in a way that one wouldn't normally be continuously still. And pain that's, uh, you know, associated with some injury or a chronic condition. And uh, so when it's pain that comes about through meditation, it's not only workable, but I think really valuable to work with that uh, in a kind of pretty direct way to, um, first of all, try to relax the body sort of as we feel the unpleasantness, which often causes tension, to kind of try to relax and then gently move towards, with the mind, the sensations. Uh, And with trying to take uh, an attitude of uh, investigation and kind of exploration uh, because indeed uh, unpleasant sensations uh, trigger aversion and uh, when we're averse to the sensations we try to get away from them which if it's mentally that means we're kind of fighting with with them and that actually can cause more pain or unpleasantness uh, than actually engaging. So we want to turn towards it and then maintain that quality of kind of relaxing or releasing. So there's a a kind of surrender to the experience, which is again kind of counterintuitive. We don't want to feel it, we don't want it to be there, but as long as we're in that relationship, there's kind of this tension that, that, and it won't really open up or release. It tends to actually tighten and, cl- and, and maintain this, the difficulty more. It doesn't give it the sensation room to kind of move and potentially transmute into something else. So um, what you can do is start to, uh, as you go towards the sensation, kind of trying to see uh, its shape and its uh, vibratory quality. So the, 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 one of the things about sensations is that they aren't static. And in our minds, pain is something that's kind of solid, but when we actually examine it, we discover that it's not solid. So this gives us kind of a way into releasing some of our resistance to it and seeing that it's not a solid thing that's just 
we're stuck with, that it's actually got this uh, life of its own that's, that's uh, in, constantly in, in movement. Uh, so it's kind of watching that and noticing, because it, there's often kind of a, a pulsing in a sense, whether it's literally kind of pulsing or just varying in degrees of intensity. So watching that, and but I think to stay somewhat with the breath, so that as we, if we can stay somewhat with the breath, that helps us to ease the tension around the sensation, and kind of uh, just stay out of the of that aversive uh, tension that arises. So w what we're trying to first of all see is that there is a difference between the sensation and our reaction to it. The sensation itself can be unpleasant, but it's not necessarily suffering until the mind gets into resistance to it. So that's aversion, which is one of the five hindrances. And that, that aversion is what kind of creates it as a solid thing and creates it as a real problem. And so you, if you, when you start to watch this process, you'll see that when the aversion isn't there, there isn't really a problem. It's just unpleasant. When the aversion is there, the tension comes back again. The whole kind of systemic resistance arises again. So we're, in a way, although we're looking at the sensation, we're also really paying close attention to the reactive quality of the mind along with it. So that, and that a lot of times you can, you'll realize that the aversion has arisen just because the pain will get more intense or the tension in the body will arise. So we're kind of working around this whole constellation of experience to kind of try to watch that. When we can stay with the pure sensation without aversion, the benefit of that from a meditative standpoint is that uh, an, in, an intense sensation can hold our attention sometimes more strongly than the it's kind of illusory and subtle qualities of breath that can easily kind of get lost. Um, so it's actually possible to develop concentration quite effectively through working with an intense sensation if we can let go of the aversion. Um, the things to avoid are watch out for the mind becoming if the mind becomes kind of tired of doing this, there can be um, a sense of a kind of background despair. So it's, it's good at times to just kind of try to take the attention away from there entirely. Shift the attention maybe to sound or to just to be with the sensation of breath more closely. Kind of if, and there's also uh, the risk of um, kind of starting to feel like your practice is just about pain and you know that, that that this is so it can become sort of like the victim feeling that like if you're in the program and it's like oh yeah I'm an alcoholic and that's, that's all I am you know if that's it's kind of your practice becomes just misery it's real it can be also really helpful and insightful to s when and if the sensations actually fade away. And we can see that, wow, that's, you know, the, sometimes that comes about through the power of the mind. Sometimes it comes about just through the fact of impermanence. You know, it passes. Now, as I said, I want to distinguish this kind of working with pain from working with chronic pain, which can be much more challenging, I think, and and I think there's a risk in trying to f to just um, just apply this this meditative practice right onto a chronic pain, which um, comes along with its own whole set of uh, history and issues, and and. Um, So, and, and I don't have um, a lot of experience working with that, but I have enough 
and, and an, a, enough experience, personal experience, as well as talking to people who've lived with that, to know that uh, we have to, we shouldn't take a simplistic approach to it. The, the, uh, that, and I, I know there are some meditation teachers. Who, I, I've heard from people with chronic pain that they've had meditation teachers try to give them this, this practice that I've just described, and that it, they, like, they didn't really understand that that just doesn't quite translate because it's not just something that's going to stop when the bell rings and you stretch out your legs and your knees stop hurting. You know, it's, it's different. Um, the, uh, and to me, this is where the despair element comes in because I think one of the, 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 um, the great challenge to me of chronic pain is that sense of being trapped in something that's kind of degrading the quality of life overall and you kind of come to meditation hoping that that's going to help with that and certainly it's possible that uh, reducing stress and deepening calm can um, can reduce chronic pain I imagine but I but I think there are probably some types of pain that it's not necessarily going to penetrate with so that in that case my guess, and I, I want to be very clear that this is more of a guess than it is an instruction, is that one might benefit more from a concentration practice that was not focused on the pain, with chronic pain, and that you might want to try to develop um, a concentration that's very sing single-pointed, that actually closes out other things. So whereas generally with mindfulness, we're trying to kind of be open with a really powerful concentration, we can get a very narrow focus that might be more beneficial, at least uh, during certain periods. You know, that is something you might try to apply. And of course, developing that kind of concentration takes a lot of determination um, and takes time. But uh, it's certainly uh, a potential of the mind. And, uh, you know, I. I've worked with that kind of concentration, but not specifically because of pain, but just as part of my practice. And it can really create an altered state that, that allows you to r really detach from, the, from physical challenges, uh, at least for short periods of time, which in and of itself can be a relief. So anything you want to say in response to any of that? No, that was helpful. It was the question was really around sort of transitory yeah. pain and you know, sort of trying to avoid the softer, easier way of just repositioning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I wasn't sure if, you know, you did have some chronic pain, given that you're... Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I'm right now experiencing this pain right here that's been with me for the last couple of days, and, uh, and it's been interesting. Um, teaching and and having that there and uh, and right now it just went away so sometimes I touch it and it goes away so. but don't try to fix me okay because sometimes when I talk about something difficulty I'm having people feel like oh I have to help the teacher okay yes Hi, um, I guess I have a question about um the kind of use of mantras or actual thoughts as they arise during meditation. And I, there was something about your instructions um, that I think led me to kind of a greater sense of, of what the present actually means when you talked about kind of not bringing more to it or making more of it. Mm -hmm. And I don't usually come up with mantras or thoughts and I started just kind of saying just be just be, just be right now. Mm -hmm. And that turned into, like, right now, like, I was sort of processed what does right now mean? Right now means I don't have to get a job. <laughs> right now, my dog isn't dying of cancer. Right now, I don't need to lose 40 pounds. Right now. Mm -hmm. and, it, and so that really brought me into the first sense of really being present mm -hmm. that I think I felt. And then it sort of faded away and the present stayed. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Um, 
yes, there, the, there can be, it can be very helpful to have some kind of trigger words. Uh, and, and it's nice when they arise kind of spontaneously because they seem to come out of your own intuition and it's not somebody else saying, do this. Um, and the way you describe it sounds like uh, it not only unfolded very naturally, but, but skillfully that, that you kind of, it's, you, the words kind of dropped away at a certain point, which is it's just kind of what I would recommend with working with something like that. And this is very similar to the, some of the practices that Thich Nhat Hanh offers. And, uh, and other teachers offer things like this. And um, yeah, it's, we just, obviously, we want to be careful that we're not kind of hypnotizing ourselves with it because uh, you can kind of get, get yourself into kind of a, well, a trance-ish state that isn't really being right now. It's just like floating along on that. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that's, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that it's, uh, I, it's beautiful the way you express that idea of, uh, of, I mean, what I was hearing was, right now I don't have to fix anything or ch nothing has to change for this moment to be okay. You know, in this moment, and this, and indeed, this isn't the moment to be looking for the job, and uh, and that's one of the things that I think is so hard for us when we meditate to say, this is time for meditation, and it's not time for solving other problems, or uh, and and that indeed there are some things that I certainly can't do in this moment. Although if you just stay meditating, and uh, you and don't eat. You could lose weight that way, but I mean, that would be one way to use meditation to, if you were trying to lose weight, but it probably wouldn't work. And, but I do remember someone s saying to me, oh, you know, I, I really need to get a job. I'm going to go on a retreat. And I was like, huh? And I, I thought it was kind of magical thinking. You know, and I think that that is one of the things that people do with meditation too. I don't know if I'm totally digressing here, but it's uh, yeah, that's nice. Right now, thank you. Did I see a hand go up over here, around the corner of my eye, or hallucinating again? Yes. So, uh, when you just said um, getting into a trance-like state and trying to avoid getting into a trance-like state, uh -huh. that was interesting to me because I mean I'm very new to meditation and I think. Um, the uh, I suppose part of my thinking about it is, oh well, maybe that's where it's supposed to go. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about that? And yes. When the distinction between that and absolutely. Um, yeah, I th I think when we the word meditation does sort of evoke these kind of bliss states or kind of being in an altered place or sort of some kind of uh, uh, rapture and, and um, things like that can, can happen in meditation. But this practice that's taught here at Spirit Rock and that's founded in uh, largely in the Theravadan Buddhist tradition, uh, it you know, uses the tool of mindfulness as its foundation tool. And mindfulness is the opposite of a trance. It's trying to, to be really awake and present for whatever is arising, which is difficult uh, because uh, you know, keep, things keep changing, for one thing, and our minds don't want to stay still and, and stay with that, watching that changing process. So. What we do, and the way we teach meditation here, m most of the people who teach here, I think, try, we try to blend what would be considered a concentration practice, which is pay attention to the breath, and when the mind wanders, just come back to the breath. So any kind of concentration practice, you keep coming back to a single object until, hopefully, uh, potentially, your mind just stays with the single object. 
Mindfulness, on the other hand, is trying to be aware of the stuff that's appearing moment by moment. Well, those are kind of two different things, concentrating and just being mindful of changing things. So uh, this gets a little tricky. So we actually blend the two partly by first using the breath to try to settle and then kind of opening a little bit and kind of letting go of the breath. A little bit like this gentleman described, he was using this mantra or phrase that for a while and then he just kind of let it go and it was with the sense of being present. Um, and when we find ourselves getting lost again or spacing out, then we'll go, oh, let me just come back to the breath again and stay with that a little bit. So there's kind of a, a dance and it, and it really, it, it, you kind of have to find your way into it and play with it a bit to start to feel, your, feel how it works for you because it's not ultimately a technique. You know, to, to think of meditation as a technique is to kind of miss the point. You know, meditation is it's really about evoking or cultivating or even just becoming aware of something that's already within you. And I talked a little bit about that during the guided meditation. That, that there's, there's already this, this kind of nascent stillness or nascent stillness within us and we just have to kind of awaken it or uh, it, it, there's different ways of characterizing it this is all metaphorical but you're not in you're not importing peace you know so if we get too wrapped up in technique then we're kind of um, it's like a musician who's just practicing scales all the time and never just plays a melody or improvises or, you know, really makes music. We're just, you know, in, out, in, out, or whatever, you know, just doing this mechanical process. Um, yeah, and, and this question of, of concentration it's versus mindfulness, it's a, it's a complex one, and there's a lot more that can be said. But I'll just go back to the basic teachings that the Buddhists, the Buddha, when he was on his... Uh, journey to enlightenment had two teachers who taught, who trained him in concentration practices, and he excelled at them. and And both his teachers asked him to stay with them, and you know, it, it, one after the other, he went from one to the other, and and he refused because he said, "What's happening?" I mean, they wanted him to teach with them. They were like, you're as good as me. Come and sit with me and teach. He said, no, because what's happening is that I get concentrated. And when I'm concentrated in these states, everything is fine. And I've let, I'm letting go of any problems and suffering. But as soon as I stop meditating, everything comes back. So what he was looking for was something more transformative, where he didn't get caught up again in greed, hatred, and delusion. And so that's what his enlightenment is. And that was when he realized that he needed to work not with just concentration, but to blend it with, I mean, this is how we interpret it now, to, to blend it with a, a kind of a contemplative mindfulness. Uh, that's kind of how he seems to have had his breakthrough. And uh, so, and there's, a, there's been a 2,500-year debate about, well, how did that really happen? And do I need to develop the same concentration as the Buddha to get enlightened, or should I just do mindfulness and so, you know, join the debate? <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, so let's take a, a little break, and I hope you will uh, meet someone. Uh, we are all here uh, together, uh, or we can say we're alone together, but, uh, you know, if you're... Um, Sitting beside someone you don't know, maybe introduce yourself and uh, we'll ring a bell in a few minutes and come back and continue. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.